We thank God for his grace. It's a beautiful word, whether it's sung or whether it's preached. One of the most beautiful concepts in the entire word of God. We love to read about grace. We love to have our pastors talk and preach about grace. We love to sing those songs about the beautiful subject of God's grace, and rightly so, because grace is the unmerited favor of God. To fully understand grace, we need to remember who we were before we became Christians. And I want to take a moment tonight, as we're gathered together in this format, to remind you of who you were and who I was and who we were before we became children of God. Let me take just a moment or two to summarize. Psalm 51 verse 5 tells us, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It makes you an enemy of God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And Isaiah the prophet says this in 64 and 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, they have taken us away. Paul says again in Romans in 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, in 20 and 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, pastor, what in the world was that? This, this quick tour through the pages of Scripture, seemingly unrelated verses. What in the world was that? Let me tell you about who you were and who I was and who we were before God's grace. We were born sinners. That's what Psalms tells us. We were shapen in iniquity, in sin. Our mothers, our parents conceived us. We were born sinners. But not only were we born sinners, Romans 3.23 tells us we broke God's law once we started to grow and once we started to be able to walk and talk and act and react. We broke God's law by our sinful deeds. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who we were before God's grace. We had fallen so short of God's plan and his purpose, his glory, because of our sin. James chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that we were enemies of God. We were friends of this world, friends of its activities, of its allurements, of its temptations, of its lusts and its evil. And so because we were friends with the world, because we lived in the world, we were part of the world, we had a worldly mindset, we were actually enemies of God. That's who we were before we became uh, children of the Lord, before God's grace entered our lives. Romans 3 and verse 10 tells us that we had no hope 
of ever becoming righteous. Not you, not me, not us. We had no hope of becoming righteous. It says there's none righteous. No, not one. The best neighbor you know, the best citizen you've met, the best person, the kindest, most gentle person that you can think of, they're still a sinner. They're not righteous because there's not one person that is righteous. We often say about people, well, he's got a good heart, but Scripture would disagree because the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. We can't even know our own heart. And so that's who we were before the grace of God. We had no hope of becoming righteous at all. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that all of our good deeds, everything we'd ever done, everything that we thought was so pleasing in the sight of God, all of our good deeds were actually just filthy rags. Everything that you ever done, that you've ever done, that was not of God's word, not agreeing with God's word, not obeying God's word, no matter how good you think it might have been, in God's sight, it was just filthy rags. Even religious people keeping rules and going to religious services, it's all just filthy rags in the sight of God without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's before grace. Before grace, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. We were bound for eternal death before grace came. We were deserving of that death as well because God cannot take sinful things or sinful people, sinful thoughts, sinful actions into his holy heaven. It would destroy heaven. And so we were bound for eternal death and we also were bound for the destination mentioned in the final book of your Bible, we were bound for hell, the lake of fire. That's who we were before God's grace entered our lives. But thank God that is not who we are today. And it's all thanks, not to our ingenuity, not to our good religious deeds, not to the fact that we're faithful to attend a house of worship when it's open for us. No, that's not why we're different. We are different than what I just described only because of the grace of God. To fully understand grace, we have to take a journey back. And many of you can because for some of you that are part of CCC, it hasn't been all that many years ago. And you can take a journey back in your mind. You can take a journey back in your memory. And you can remember the shameful days and the guilty nights and the sinful pleasures that you thought were so great at the time, but they led you down a path that nearly destroyed you. But thank God, before you got to the end of the road and the end of your rope, God's grace swept in. And so I'm thankful to be able to stand here tonight and tell you that if we want to fully understand grace, we do need to remember every once in a while our past. We need to remember what God brought us out of and delivered us from. But to fully understand grace... We not only need to remember our past, we need to also remember what God, grace does for us every single day. So once again, let me just take a random uh, tour through scripture, a snapshot of what grace does for us now. We know who we were before grace. Let me show you who we are now that God's grace has entered our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Thank God for his grace. 
James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, But God gives more grace. Wherefore, because of that, he says, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now here's the conclusion of God giving us more grace. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You used to run from Satan, but today, because you're a child of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, the devil runs from you. Second Thessalonians, Paul writes this in chapter two, verse 16 and 17. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through Grace. And here's what that grace does. Comfort your hearts and establish you, establish you in every good word and work. That's the power of grace. It not only establish us, establishes us in good words and good works here on earth, but it comforts our hearts and it gives us everlasting consolation and an everlasting good hope. It's all through grace. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Titus is given this by the apostle Paul. He says, Titus, I want you to remember, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, but unfortunately all men don't latch hold of it. All men don't listen for it. All men don't embrace it. But when you do, here's what the grace of God will do in your life teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, now because of the grace of God, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace will do for you. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, Peter says, but grow in grace. You don't get this download at all on the first day you're a Christian, but you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, the writer says, so beautiful, so powerful. Let us therefore come boldly, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, the Lord speaks to Paul after Paul has gone to Jesus three times saying, Jesus, please, I'm in this trial. I've got this thorn in my flesh. It's, it's bothering me. It's hindering me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to react. Please help me. Please take this away. And here's what God said to the apostle Paul. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And so Paul, he gets a, a, a refreshing. He gets an answer. He gets a, a deliverance here. And here's what he says. Now, he's not out of his trial. The thorn in the flesh is still there. It's still active. It's still hurting. But he gets a deliverance in his spirit. And he says, after Jesus said, you hang in there. My grace is sufficient. And my strength is made perfect even in your weakness. Here's what Paul said. It's like he stood on his feet, squared his shoulders, straightened his back and said, most gladly therefore 
will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what Paul said. If Jesus' power is made more real in my life by me going through this, I want to go through this. I'll glory in my infirmities because I want the power of Christ to rest upon me. Now, Pastor, you just took us on a whole long tour of the word of God and those scriptures seemed a little bit better related than the first seven, but, but, but where are we going here? Let me tell you where we're going. God's grace is so powerful that now that you are a child of God, you know what you were before grace. Let me tell you what you are now that you have God's grace. God's grace is instrumental in our salvation for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace gives us victory over sin. That's what James said when he said, uh, God gives more grace and now you can submit yourselves to God and you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, grace, it's so powerful that it can give you victory over sin. Grace gives us everlasting hope and comfort according to 2 Thessalonians. And grace, according to what Paul wrote to Titus, Grace gives us the power to live a holy life. He said the grace of God that teaches all men. It appears to all men and it brings salvation. It teaches us we can deny ungodliness. We can deny worldly lust. We can live soberly and righteously and godly right here in this present world. You see, the grace of God gives us power to live a holy life. Grace allows us to mature spiritually. That's why Peter said, grow in grace. Grace helps us through our trials. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, come boldly to the throne of grace. And when you come boldly to that throne of grace, of course, what you're gonna receive is grace. We may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Grace will get you through a trial. Grace will take you through a dark night and a terrible deep valley. Grace can do it. Paul even said in the last scripture we read that God's grace is sufficient to see us through anything. When you don't understand, when it's been long and dreary and difficult, when you don't have any answers and you feel sometimes, some days, like your hope has dwindled away and you really cannot fathom what God is allowing in your life, you go to that throne of grace and you will get an answer like Paul received. God will say, my child, my grace is sufficient for you. You may not understand what I'm doing, but my grace is sufficient. You may have pain in your body and hurt in your mind, but my grace is sufficient for you. You may have trouble in your family or setbacks in your circumstances, but my grace is sufficient for you. It will see us through anything. That is the power of the grace of God. To appreciate God's grace, you've got to go back and take a look at what you were without hope, without heaven, without power or strength. That's who you were. Kind of eking out a life, trying to do your best, trying to be good, but failing miserably time after time. And even when you did do good, according to the word of God, all of your righteousness was just as filthy rags. That's who you were before grace. Can I just tell you, you and I, we were hopeless. We were helpless. We were doomed. We were headed for an eternity without God. 
We were headed for the thing that nobody seems to want to talk about in churches anymore, but there is still a hell that represents eternal punishment, and that's what we were headed for. But that was before the grace of God. Now that grace has entered our lives, we have all of these benefits that I just described. Grace to understand it. You got to know who you were, but you've also got to realize who you are in Jesus Christ. No wonder the apostle Paul exclaimed this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If there's any good you ever see in me, it's because of the grace of God. If I ever do anything that merits any praise, it's by, because of the grace of God. If I ever achieve anything with my one and only solitary life, it's because of the grace of God. If there's anything that is worthy in me, if there's anything that is righteous in me, if there's anything that is holy in me, it's not because I gritted my teeth and pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and embarked on a self-help project. No, it's only because of the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul went on to say, and by the way, that grace which was bestowed upon me, God didn't do it in vain. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. I worked harder for God than everybody I knew. I just put my life and my world and my energy and my money and my time into the kingdom of God. I labored more abundantly than anybody else around me. And then he says, but it wasn't me, yet not I. It was the grace of God which was with me. See, the grace of God, that won't make you want to sit back and just kind of slack off and just hope that it all turns out. No, the grace of God, it makes you want to throw yourself into the kingdom of God, throw yourself into the work of God. And, and that's what grace does for us. It's what it did for Paul. No wonder with grace being so awesome and so powerful and so blessed, no wonder John ends the book of Revelation. And in fact, he ends the whole Bible with these words, Revelation 22, 21 the last verse in your Bible. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So be it. I speak over you that are watching and listening right now. I speak over our church family. I speak over our wonderful friends that have joined us for this online broadcast. And I say, let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Because if his grace is with you, you can get through anything. If his grace is with you, you can achieve anything for God. It is a wonderful thing to be living under grace. Living under grace, can you imagine? Like the sky opened up and there's a downpour and you get to live under the grace of God, under his open heaven, pouring blessings on you. What a wonderful thing to be living under grace. What a privilege. You see, grace is continually described in the Bible as a gift because grace was given freely to us, because we didn't deserve it, and because it cost God such a significant price to give it. You see, a gift is free to the recipient, but not to the giver. And in this case, the price paid for the gift of grace that's been given to us so freely, 
The price paid was Jesus' blood shed on the cross. So while you may say, well, grace is a free gift to me, it's free, but it's not cheap. It costs heaven everything. It costs God the agony of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why I have a really hard time understanding people who say very callously and very casually, well, I'm living under grace. And what they mean is they want to excuse the fact that they simply do not want to keep God's commandments. I'm living under grace. It doesn't matter. Don't talk to me, preacher. Don't, don't talk to me, friend. I, I don't want to know about those commandments that you keep. I don't want to know about those rules in the word of God that you honor. I don't want to know about anything that has to do with the law of God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to obey it. I don't want it to be part of me because you know what? I'm living under grace. What an attitude. After all God has done for us. I'm sorry, I just don't understand that. I've heard people actually say this. I just ignore the Old Testament because I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm living under grace. Those people have totally distorted the plain teaching of Scripture to justify their own behavior. You see, here's what most people don't even stop to think. Grace did not first appear at the cross of Calvary. Grace did not first appear at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, grace appeared thousands of years before. Even in the Old Testament, our gracious God chose to give unmerited favor. That's what grace is. Old Testament or new, the words are in Hebrew and Greek, but they mean the same thing. Grace is unmerited favor. Blessing you didn't deserve. Favor you didn't deserve. That's what grace is. Well, grace didn't first appear at Calvary. It first appeared early in the Old Testament because our gracious God couldn't help himself. He chose to give unmerited favor to his people. The Bible says in Genesis 6, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't live in the New Testament. Noah never met Jesus face to face. Noah lived thousands of years before Jesus and the New Testament. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God could have and should have probably wiped out the whole world because nobody could measure up to God's perfection. But there was a man named Noah who loved God and who honored God. And so in the middle of destruction, in the middle of pandemonium and chaos, God looked down and said, Noah, you found grace in my sight. You didn't merit this, but I'm going to bless you because you've honored me. It's unmerited favor in the eyes of the Lord. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17, God and Moses were having a conversation and Moses was praying to God. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you've spoken. Here's why I'm gonna answer your prayer, Moses. Here's why I'm gonna do what you asked. For thou hast found grace in my sight. And Moses, I know thee by name. That is right there one of the most common prayers 
found in the Old Testament. Moses has just prayed it and God has just answered it. But it's prayed dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament. May I find grace in your sight. Let me find grace in your sight. Can I say to you, that shouldn't just be an Old Testament prayer that we pack up, put away, and forget. That needs to be our prayer every day. Oh God, today in my life, let me find grace in your sight. I don't do this perfectly. I make mistakes and I often fail and I often fall and fumble the ball and falter. I'm so feeble and so frail and sometimes so fickle. So God, today, just let me find Find grace in your sight, even though I don't deserve it, even though I could never afford it. God, today, let me find unmerited favor in your sight. Still in the Old Testament, for everybody that thinks grace is just the New Testament, here's a beautiful verse in Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What a beautiful promise that is in the Psalms. God is my son. He's the light of my life. He's my shield. He's my protector. He's my fortress. And God will give grace and glory and he won't withhold any good thing. Do I deserve good things from God? Not on your life. I've sinned too much. I've failed too much. I've messed up too much. I don't deserve it. But the Lord will not withhold any good thing from his people who walk up rightly. He will give grace and glory. See, here's something you need to think about. What was it that kept Joseph from sinning with Potiphar's wife when she offered and he was hundreds of miles away from anybody that even knew his name or even thought he still existed? He could have sinned and nobody would have been the wiser. What kept Joseph from sinning with Potiphar's wife. Oh, pastor, that's easy. It was the law of God. No, it wasn't. The law of God wouldn't be given for another 200 years. What kept Joseph from sinning in that moment of temptation when he could have easily yielded and nobody would have known? But what kept Joseph was God's grace. It was God's blessing in his life. What allowed David to find forgiveness after his horrible sin of adultery and then compounding it with murder and deceit and lying? What allowed David to find forgiveness after that horrible trilogy of sins? It was God's grace. He didn't deserve it. The law wouldn't allow it, but God's grace allowed him to find it. What preserved those three Hebrew boys in the furnace? I'll tell you what it was. God himself up in heaven said, I like those three Hebrew boys. They're standing up for me. I think I'll go down there and stand for them. And so the king looks over the balcony where they'd thrown those boys into the fiery furnace. And he said, what is this? Somebody made a mistake. I don't see three men bound. I see four men walking around loose. And the fourth is like the son of God. I'll tell you what preserved those three Hebrew boys. It was the grace of God. They didn't deserve that deliverance, but Old Testament, uh, it shows some grace too. It's like the grace of God that we love from the New Testament. It couldn't stand to just be on this side of the binding of your Bible. It made its way all the way back to some of those old patriarchs and those people that loved God. And grace was manifest in their lives too. Unmerited favor.
What allowed the entire city of Nineveh, a wicked, pagan city, what allowed them to repent? You say it was Jonah's preaching. You've heard lots of preaching and I have and we didn't listen to it or pay attention or obey it. What would allow a pagan city, a wicked city to repent and find that place of repentance and forgiveness before God? I'll tell you what it was. It was God's grace, his unmerited favor, his loving kindness toward them. It was grace. Well, Pastor Raymond, what about this verse? John chapter one, verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Doesn't that split it apart? Doesn't that say the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace? Here's how I would answer that. Yes, the Old Testament is known for law and the New Testament is known for grace. Yes, the Old Testament focuses on law and the New Testament focuses on grace, but never forget what I'm about to tell you. There is grace in the Old Testament and there is law in the New Testament. Stop assuming that God's laws are somehow inferior to God's grace. Both his laws and his grace, they both come from God and they both are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Both the Old and New Testament declare in Malachi 3.6, in Hebrews 13.8, both the Old and New Testament declare that God never changes. So if God ever gives you a law that protects you from sin and keeps you from going to hell, and you say, well, God, he imposed this law. If God ever gives you a law that would keep you away from sin and keep you from going to hell, what has he just done? In giving you that law, he actually gave you grace. <laughs> he gave you unmerited favor. He gave you loving kindness because like you love your children enough to make some rules to protect them and educate them and, and mature them, your heavenly father, he loves you enough to give you some laws that protect you and educate you and mature you. And in doing so, he didn't hurt you. He blessed you. When God loves you enough to give you a commandment, that's his grace too. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy. I came to fulfill. To hear some people talk, you'd think that God did away with all his commandments in the, in the New Testament. But that just isn't true. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. And, and see, that's really the point. God's laws, whether Old or New Testament, they define sin. And they show us what actions are right and wrong. And let me tell you, that is incredibly valuable information that we need to have. But the problem is, even if we could technically keep all of God's commandments perfectly. If anyone could look at us and say, oh, they've done it perfectly. Well, it still wouldn't be enough to change our hearts because you can obey on the outside and be in trouble on the inside. So in either Testament, we still need God's kindness toward us. We still need his favor and his blessing toward us.
We still need the unmerited favor that is grace. Yes, whether in the Old or New Testament, we should have failed. We should have fallen. We should have been destroyed. But God's grace. We look at people sometimes and they're in a terrible situation They're in some kind of physical infirmity or some terrible sickness or time of trial. And we say, there but for the grace of God go I. And and that's wonderful. And I'm glad you think that way and honor God's grace that way. But the greatest thing is not that you've been delivered from some physical infirmity or sickness or pain. The greatest thing is you're going to heaven and not going to hell. And so when you see people, you might see somebody that looks to be on top of the world. They've got money and friends and possession and reputation and career and maybe fame. And you look at them and you say, wow, they've got it all together. But if you could see in the spirit realm and know that you're going to heaven on your little paycheck, living in your little small apartment, maybe a little bit lonely or maybe going through some terrible situation right now with your family or your life, if you could see in the spirit realm, you that have very little of this world's goods, you can still look at a multimillionaire that doesn't know Jesus, and you can say, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that I know him. In either testament, we still need grace. You see, it's not enough to just refrain from stealing if your heart's still filled with greed. You've still got a sin problem. It's not enough to just refrain from killing somebody if your heart is filled with hate. You've still got a sin problem. It's not enough to refrain from committing adultery if your heart and your mind is still filled with lust. You've still got a sin problem. And sin, outside of God's grace will forever separate you from God. So I thank God for his law, his commandments, and I thank him for his unmerited favor, his grace. Yes, there are commandments in the New Testament, just like there are in the Old Testament. And actually, if you think about it, the New Testament commandments are actually harder and and, and higher requirements and harder to live. Because now they deal specifically with our hearts. Now it would seem like that's a hopeless proposition because after all, God's people failed repeatedly to keep his commandments in the Old Testament. And God's people failed repeatedly to keep his commandments in the New Testament. And not to be too personal, but you fail repeatedly, and I do, to keep his commandments today as we live our lives. So it seems pretty hopeless that after the Old Testament, God raises the bar in the New Testament and it doesn't matter where we are in the scripture, we fail to keep his commandments. What is the answer when fallible, frail, fragile, fickle human beings try to have a relationship with God? What is the answer to this conundrum? I'm glad to tell you tonight, the answer is grace. God's grace, amazing grace, enabling grace, empowering grace, incredible, indescribable, inconceivable, incomparable, indestructible grace.
That's the answer. Grace doesn't remove God's commandments from our lives. What a gaping hole in our spirit that would leave. To be without the commandments of God and to not know what pleased him or what offended him. What, what a hole that would leave in our spiritual lives. So this wonderful grace doesn't remove God's commandments from our lives. Instead, grace gives us the power, the enabling force to be able to live God's commandments. So I say with a totally different attitude than what I've heard many people speak, I'm living under grace. I am so thankful, so blessed, so fortunate because I am living under grace. I don't say that for an excuse. I don't say that to cloak my sin. I don't say that because I rebel against huge portions of God's word. No, I say it out of gratitude, eternal gratitude. I am living under grace. Jesus told that woman who was taken in adultery, you're forgiven because of my grace. You don't deserve it, but I'm gonna give you unmerited favor here. And so that woman, that adulteress, taken in the very act of adultery, she was forgiven because of grace. But Jesus also told her, now you need to keep God's commandments that you were breaking before. What he said to her was, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, God's grace forgave her. <laughs> but God's grace also enabled her. That's what you've got to realize. God's grace will forgive you of your sin. God's grace will erase your mistakes. God's grace will turn your past into a beautiful testimony. God's grace, it'll do that. But God's grace won't just forgive you and then drop you. God's grace will enable you to keep the commands you once broke, to please a God that you once offended, to live in a way that you thought you could never live, to be so free that the old bondage seems like a bad nightmare. That is the grace of God. It will forgive you and it will enable you. I thank God for the privilege of living under the open heaven called God's grace. And people, they argue with this. They say, well, you know, God will forgive. I'll, I'll just keep sinning. It doesn't matter. I can always ask God to forgive me. I can always just repent. I can do what I want and I'll go to church on Sunday and just ask him for forgiveness. The Apostle Paul thundered against that preposterous notion that somehow living under grace meant that God's laws and commandments were no longer important. The Apostle Paul would take issue with that attitude. Here's what he said. For sin, what are you talking about? That sin that used to bind you, it shall no more have dominion over you. How insane would it be to be forgiven of sin and then go right back to doing the same thing that you used to do that had hurt you so badly? Sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law. You're not just doing it because you're trying to keep rules. You're under grace. 
Paul said, it's not that you don't do it anymore. It's not that you ignore the commands of God now. No, it's that you used to do them out of some kind of religious notion or religious duty. And you do it now through the grace of God. It used to be you putting forth an effort to be good, but now it's God's grace. You're living under his grace and it's God, it's Christ that lives in you that allows you to please him. It's so beautiful. Sin shall not have dominion over you. What would you be talking about that you'd still go back to the same beggarly elements of the world and the same binding sin? Sin shall not have dominion over you because now you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What then? He answers the objection before they can even say it. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Shall we continue just kind of dabbling in sin here and there and not thinking it's any big deal because after all, we're under grace and God will forgive us? Paul said, God forbid that you would ever have that attitude. You see, grace is a blessing, and grace is a privilege, and grace is unmerited. Grace is so beautiful, but grace isn't given so you'll have an excuse. Grace is given so God's power can enable you to live a life that you could not live before. And yet, having said that, Paul does tell us, grace does do something for you that the law could never have done. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We get grace before we deserve it, before we ask for it, and before we even understand it fully. And that grace lifts us up to a new level of living that we could never have experienced before. Grace, Paul said, has the power to change our hearts. No amount of rule keeping could do that. No amount of religious observance could do that. No amount of good deeds or kind actions could do that. But God's grace has the power to change our hearts. He said in the book of Galatians, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Jesus wasted his time dying on the cross. If the law, if rules, if regulations and requirements could change my heart. So I don't frustrate the grace of God. I don't frustrate it in two ways. I don't frustrate the grace of God in that I ignore it and don't appreciate it. But I also don't frustrate the grace of God in that I presume upon it and I use it as an excuse to go back to the same things I used to be part of. I refuse to frustrate the grace of God. Grace is the greatest thing that God ever gave us. The law tells us what we're doing wrong, and we have to know that. Without knowing what's right and what's wrong from the Word of God, we're going through life blind and deaf, and we can't understand. But grace tells us something even more powerful. The law tells us what we're doing wrong, and we need that. But grace tells us what we can do right because of what Jesus accomplished for us. I love this verse. It's so powerful and so beautiful. Paul says in Romans 5 and 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Don't ever get mad at the commandments of God, at the rules that the Bible gives. 
because the law entered. We became aware of it. It entered our lives. A preacher preached to us so the offense might abound, that we'd realize, oh my goodness, I'm in so much trouble with God. I thought I was doing good. I thought I was religious. I thought I was a good person, a good neighbor, a good citizen. And, and the Bible just told me that I'm a sinner. I'm worthy of death. I'm an enemy of God. Even my good deeds are like filthy rags and I'm headed for hell. We need to know that. It's an offense to us, that law. But the law is given so we could get a revelation of how bad it is, how terrible our situation is, how much trouble we're actually in. So don't you ever downplay or dismiss or disparage the law of God. Without his laws, we wouldn't know how messed up we were. And let me go back to what Paul said. So it's a good thing the law came into our lives. The law entered that the offense might abound. <laughs> but this, but this. But where sin abounded, where alcoholism had you in a stranglehold, where drug addiction kept pulling you back to things that you hated, where perversion and lust and all kinds of things in your mind kept you ashamed and guilty. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So I don't care who you are or what you've done or where you've been. I don't care how bad you've messed it up or how far you are from God or how many times you've broken his commandments or how many times you've looked in his face as it were and cursed him to his face. I don't care if you will turn to God where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You can live under the grace of God. There's no better place to live. There's no greater place to live. There's no more blessed way to live because grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God on your life. Oh, I'm glad if God gives you favor and you get healed from a sickness. I'm grateful if God gives you favor and your job or your business is blessed. I'm God, glad if God gives you favor and your family's happy and, 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 and you don't have any real issues or problems. I'm glad. But grace didn't come so you could have a comfortable life down here and die. Grace came so you could live forever in heaven with Jesus. Where sin abounded, took you off track, off course, down the wrong path. Grace does much more abound. It can turn you around. It can break the shackles of habits and addictions. Grace can change you from the inside out. And I encourage you to contact us if you don't have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. You can send us an email. You can write it in the comments if you're watching on Facebook. We will get in touch with you. We stand ready to help you obey the gospel. 
Peter said on the first day of church history, you need to repent, you need to turn from your sin. And we think, well, I've got to turn from this, I've got to give up this, I've got to leave behind this. Yes, but I wouldn't say, do I have to? I would say, I get to. I get to leave behind brokenness and pain. I get to leave behind bondage and addiction. And I get to turn myself around and turn myself to God. That's repentance. Peter said, repent. And then the next thing you need to do is, and we can help you, even in this time of social distancing, we can help you be baptized in the wonderful saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission, for the washing away of your sin, your past, your guilt, your shame. We can help you. And the Bible promises us, in Peter's words, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, if you will repent and be baptized, he will fill you. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is when God's Spirit moves into your life and by an act of grace changes you from the inside out. I want this for you more than anything I could ever give you or tell you or share with you. I want you to have the privilege of living under grace and Jesus can do it. You can begin the journey right now. I'm going to pray before the worship team comes back and sings. And I'd just like you, wherever you are, to pray with me. Because I don't care how bad it's been. God is waiting to pour out his grace in your life. Would you pray with me right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for your grace in my life. Without your grace, I would have been lost. Without your grace, I would stand guilty and stained, ashamed before you. But because of your grace, I stand here free. I stand here loosed from shackles. And I stand here clean before my Lord. What a privilege it is to live under grace. Jesus, I pray for somebody watching right now that has made horrible mistakes and taken wrong turns and messed up relationships and they feel like there's no hope. God, there's always hope because there's always grace. Jesus, right now together we repent of our sin. We turn away from things that offend you. We turn away from things that your word tells us not to do. And we begin a new journey right now. It's a journey of grace. We repent. We turn away from that. and We turn to you. And that is the first step in the rest of the journey. And I thank you for the ability to make one choice called repentance that begins the rest of a new life. I pray for somebody that's prayed that prayer with me tonight. They've made a choice. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I turn away from sin. I pray for them, God, that you would order their steps in your word and lead them and guide them. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of preaching about your grace but much more, I thank you for the privilege of living under grace.
you're so good to us. I bless these people that have watched and listened tonight in your name. Let them all be abundantly and eternally blessed to live under your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being part of our Sunday evening service.